It was around 6 a.m. one Saturday morning when Jessica Moore, class of 2021, woke up with a fever and body aches. She called University Health Services. And the nurse hotline actually had me call an ambulance because my heart rate was so high. Um, So called an ambulance, um, went straight to Beth Israel. She was at a hospital in Boston by 7 a.m. At that point, she had a splitting headache and she was nauseous and vomiting. At first, the doctor thought her symptoms were related to her chronic illness. Jess has Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, a genetic disorder that can weaken your immune system. Over the summer, she was in and out of the hospital with related complications. So they just like start giving me a bunch of fluids and they just sort of like run through every possible like viral or bacterial infection I could have. And they really thought that I had meningitis actually. And I did like a spinal tap and everything. They also tested for COVID and that test came back positive. And I remember calling my mom and telling her that I was COVID positive and she started crying because she was really Like, my whole family had been very scared for me throughout all of this, just knowing that I am not the healthiest person and I don't have the best immune system because of my chronic illness. The result was shocking to her. When you've dealt with a chronic illness your whole life and then a -a once-in-a-century pandemic rolls around, you don't take the threat of a deadly virus lightly. Up until then, she felt she was doing everything she could to stay healthy, but she still got sick. I just sort of felt guilty for getting sick and felt like it was assumed that I had done something wrong and... um, everyone else was having to like figure out how to fix my mistake and that was really frustrating because I felt like I had been trying so hard like to follow the community guidelines and was always wearing a mask and I just like couldn't even conceptualize how it happened and I still like truly don't know where or when I got it. She was admitted to the hospital that day but the process was a mess. To Jess it seemed like Harvard didn't have the procedures to handle serious cases. When she'd ask people questions, they'd often have to consult others. It, it was things as small as like, the hospital has prescribed me medication, but I can't go to a pharmacy to receive that medication. So like, what are we going to do? To things as large as like, how am I physically going to leave this place when I need to? It, it just seemed like there was a guidebook for some things and there was a clear script about how some things were supposed to go and other things you could tell that there was just no book and no one had any idea. The people around her appeared to be improvising. One nurse even told her she was the first student to develop serious symptoms. And this was in early October, well into the semester. At that point, there had been around 70 university-wide cases. Over 150 people had been quarantined. I I think, like, after my personal experience, I, I think it's insanely irresponsible to just overlook the fact that a student could be hospitalized with this illness. Aside from Harvard's seeming unpreparedness, Jess's COVID experience wasn't as bad as it could have been. She didn't have severe respiratory symptoms, and she started getting better after a week, which is around the same time severe cases often crash. But it still sucked. It was sort of like touch touch and go. Like, there would be times where I was like, oh yeah, I just feel like a little bit sick. And then there was literally a day where like I could not sit up or like even go to the bathroom without getting so nauseous that I would vomit and then like pass out. And so there were some like really not good, <laughs> there, there were some really low moments and I was probably the sickest that I have like ever been in my entire life. When we talk about how life should proceed in the pandemic, there's always some calculation of risk and nobody understands this as much as Jess. She understands that there's a cost benefit analysis that weighs public health against normal life. For some, the risk the virus poses to healthy college-age people is low enough to justify keeping campus open. But if you really think about this calculation of risk, it's a grim balancing act. Students understandably want a residential college experience, 
Some need the housing and food security Harvard provides. But how many cases like Jess's, or potentially worse, are people willing to tolerate for it? What does that mean for the most vulnerable members of the Harvard community? You'll hear more from Jess on this episode of New Normal. Jess has been living on campus since the spring. When everyone was kicked out in March, she petitioned to stay. Basically, I don't have like a bedroom in my home at home. And so there's sort of no way for me to do school from my living room couch. She's a first generation low income student. So the pandemic put her and her family in an uncertain position. At that point, she was still wrapping up classes, but money and health were a bigger concern. Her mom was still going to work and she has the same chronic condition as Jess. Her family even had a COVID scare when her brother back home tested positive and was almost hospitalized. I had lost all of my campus jobs, and that was bad because I, I tend to send money home. And so I just felt like the very last thing I needed to be doing was like writing a 20-page paper on like a feminist perspective on Frankenstein. She lived in Quincy House over the summer, and when Harvard announced its fall plan, she knew she'd be enrolling and petitioning for campus housing again. There wasn't like the choice <laughs> to, to not enroll because not enrolling would mean that I didn't have secure housing and access to like food and healthcare um, and all of the things that Harvard sort of makes secure for me. While she was packing up to move to Winthrop for the fall, she saw some of her peers moving into fancy beachside quarantine houses. And that's one way the pandemic has magnified the inequities of Harvard. A lot of the things that can shorten the gap between the privileged and underprivileged are gone. You really do need campus as an equalizer because at least like on when I'm on campus, like, you know, I'm not living in worse housing because I can't afford it because I'm low income. And like you can almost put on this disguise where it's like, I don't think anyone would know generally that I'm first and low income. Um, and like you need campus space in order to allow that to happen. To Jess, the biggest Harvard-related thing students have lost to COVID is the support and stability of living on campus. And while students like Jess are able to petition to live in the dorms, there's also incentive to stay at home. If you're on financial aid, you can get a $5,000 off-campus stipend, which means if the calculation had been different for Jess, she could have ended up studying from a futon at home. Like she mentioned earlier, finding out she had COVID was shocking. Her mom cried the first time Jess called her from the hospital, and her family is worried her chronic condition would make things worse. Soon after she arrived at the hospital, Jess was put in isolation. And from that point on, for about seven days, I didn't interact with anyone who wasn't um, in like full protective equipment. For most of her stay, she was in this small windowless room. Uh, I, I remember like beige tile floors and like yellowy tinted walls and then this door that had a bunch of caution signs put up on it like letting everyone know that they couldn't enter the room unless they were taking droplet precautions there's the hum of medical equipment and a constant beeping being in the hospital is sort of um like the movie groundhog day where it's the same things happening over and over again and every single day i would get four shots i would get my blood drawn twice um, my IV would be replaced, not every day, but every couple of days. She was on a lot of meds, and she didn't have the capacity to do much more than sleep. 
When she was awake, her vision would be blurry, she'd get muscle spasms, and she could barely get up without vomiting. It was scary because I didn't know what to anticipate and no one could really tell me what to anticipate or how bad it would get. And every time I got better, it seemed like it would only last for a couple of hours and then I would be right back at another really low low again. She eventually did get better and the time came to arrange her discharge. And that's when things on the procedure side got messy. I kept asking like HUHS and stuff, I was like, how do you want me to like get back to campus? Like when they discharge me, like what am I supposed to do? Like I can't get in an Uber or like get on the T. Um, I was getting different information from different people at different times. So like my Dean would tell me like, oh, we're gonna figure it out, we'll work on it. But then I would get a call from the HUHS contact tracer and she would say like, hey, do you have anyone in the area with a car who could possibly pick you up and like transport you instead? At some point, the hospital staff was telling her she was getting discharged one day, but Harvard had planned for a shuttle to pick her up the next day. On top of that, there was similar confusion around how she'd get her stuff for isolation. First, she was told she'd be able to go back to her dorm and pack her own bag. According to the university website, that's the normal procedure. But then she was told someone else would do that for her, and that she'd just go straight to isolation housing. There was a back and forth over whether or not it'd be safe for anyone else to enter her room, but eventually one of the deans packed her a bag. With that in mind, you can get a sense of what Jess means when she says it felt like Harvard just had no plan for dealing with serious cases. I feel like that should have been the number one, like, biggest topic is, like, how are we going to address, like, what happens in the scenario where a student is, like, gravely ill from this? The way Jess describes it, there was a clear script for how some things were supposed to run. But that script didn't cover the situation Jess was in. I first talked to Jess in early November, so she had been out of the hospital for a few weeks already. Now, almost a month later, she's still feeling the effects of COVID. It's almost like I have mono, where I'm just so fatigued. I have really bad brain fog, and I'm just, lots of things are like falling through the cracks for me. Like, for example, thinking that our interview was tomorrow <laughs> instead of today is something I've been doing a lot. Beyond her health, the pandemic is still shaping her life. In our most recent conversation, I asked what's next for her after Harvard. She's applying to law school, and she says her decision to do so reflects her anxieties around the current economy. Because I was, like, very scared of trying to enter the job market right now, and I didn't feel any sort of, like, job security. The truth is I'm delaying searching for a job by going and getting more schooling. She's the president of the Hasty Pudding Theatricals, and she's into comedy writing. But coming from a low-income background, graduating in a recession and pursuing a career in entertainment isn't in the cards. If I felt more um, financially secure, I think I would probably like go and try to do comedy writing or just writing generally. But I just don't necessarily have the ability to like go and be poor in New York for two years. The last thing I asked Jess was how she thinks we should live in the pandemic. Having experienced everything she did, I was curious to hear her take on the conversation around risk. How do we balance public health with the desire to do things we normally do? In this case, I think that no matter what we do, like some people will end up sick and some people will end up in the hospital. Um, and so I understand doing like the risk calculation and saying, you know, um, 
I've had like three negative tests this week. So maybe it's fine if I like go out and do like indoor dining or something like that. But it's really hard for me to separate the abstract idea of like, oh, people will end up in the hospital, like from my own personal experience of ending up in the hospital and like not wanting that for anyone at all, like if that is possible. And so in my mind, if there is even a chance that like you could put someone in that position, I don't see like any benefit that outweighs that cost. When people talk about the trade-offs of the pandemic like this, someone usually points to the hospitalization or death rate for young people. But when we talk about these stats, I think it's really easy to abstract away the fact that there is a real human impact when you do this cost-benefit analysis. For college students, the chance any one of us dies from COVID is really small, but it's not zero, and we can still wind up in the hospital like Jess. Jess also brought up that beyond ourselves, there's the chance you could pass it to the dining or custodial staff, the people that make our lives on campus possible in the first place. The Crimson published an article a few weeks ago about how Harvard has neglected these members of the community. Non-necessary needs um, don't outweigh, like, someone's life, potentially, in my mind. Um, And I'm getting really frustrated with people on campus. Like, it's their last week in here, and they're like, oh, I've had three negative tests this week, so, like, it should be fine if I, like, go hard this weekend and, like, just to say goodbye. And it's like, I... I had three negative tests, like my Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday tests were negative. And if I had gone out like Friday and Saturday night, then like my conversation with the contract tracers would have been really different. And I just, you just, you just don't know, like you don't know if you're sick and you could really be putting a lot of people in in harm's way. Crimson, New Normal is a podcast about students in the pandemic. It's produced and edited by me, Kai McNamee. I reached out to the university and administrators involved in Jess's story, but they said they couldn't comment on specific cases. 